Welcome back to the OBG Med Student Podcast. This podcast is designed for OB-GYN students that are currently on the clerkship. Today we have a special guest that's going to be reviewing multifetal gestation. If you guys would like to follow along, you can use the Beckman and Ling textbook, chapter 13, or you can sign on to www.apgo.org backslash students, and this is education topic number 20. Dr. Pauli, tell us more about what you do here. Thank you, Dr. Wright, for having me. I'm a maternal fetal medicine specialist here at Hershey. That means I take care of high-risk pregnant women. Excellent. So we have just the case for you, Dr. Pauli. This is a case of a 28-year-old G2P1 who is now 12 weeks. Her first pregnancy was full-term and uncomplicated. At her first trimester screen, she was noted to have a dichorionic, diamniotic twin gestation with size equal to dates. I wanted to take the time to review some basic science principles with respect to multiple gestation. The first question that I had for you was, how do twins develop? So about 80% of the time, there are two separate ova that are fertilized by two separate sperm. This causes a dizygotic pregnancy, which will always be a dichorionic, diamniotic twin pregnancy. There are two placentas and two amniotic sacs. About 20% of the time, there's one fertilization, one egg, one sperm, and then the zygote splits. That's a monozygotic twin pregnancy. And then how many placentas and sacs you have depends on when it splits. So can you tell us more about the monozygotic twinning then and how that is determined? So when they split very, very early in days zero to three, that happens about one third of the time, you will get a dichorionic, diamniotic twin pregnancy. If they split between days four and eight, that would be a monochorionic, diamniotic twin pregnancy. And that happens about 70% of the time. If they split even later, days eight to 12, then you have a monochorionic, monoamniotic twin pregnancy. That happens about 1% of the time. And if they split even later than that, greater than 13 days, then you have what's called conjoined twins. So then how is this diagnosis of chorionicity and zygosity made then? So it's really important to have a first trimester ultrasound because that helps you not only determine the age of the pregnancy and ultimately the patient's due date, but also helps you decide what kind of twin pregnancy you have. In the first trimester, the most important thing to look at is the division between the membranes. If you have a thick membrane and what we call a lambda sign, that usually tells you that you have a dichorionic, diamniotic twin pregnancy. If you have a thin membrane and you have what we call the T sign, which is just that the membrane goes straight into the placenta, then that's a monochorionic pregnancy. Excellent. Thank you so much for that review. So for our specific patient, what nutritional deficiencies is she at higher risk for then? And, and would there be any specific recommendations that you would make, including for her weight gain? So for anybody who ever listened to my physiology of pregnancy lecture, we know that the blood volume in pregnancy increases significantly. However, there's a dilutional anemia because the plasma volume increases 
more than the red blood cell mass. This happens even more so in a twin pregnancy, so she's at even higher risk of anemia. One of the major causes of anemia is iron deficiency, and you have two fetuses that are now drawing iron from the mother, so her iron deficiency anemia risk is considerably higher. Women will also be at increased risk of calcium depletion, and so it's important to supplement both iron and calcium in a twin pregnancy. And then finally, we know that it's important for women who are pregnant to gain an appropriate amount of weight during that pregnancy to support normal fetal growth. In a normal weight woman, we usually recommend for one fetus that she gains about 25 to 35 pounds over the course of her pregnancy. For a normal weight woman carrying twins, we usually recommend that she gains more like 40 to 50 pounds during that pregnancy. Now, if the patient is underweight or overweight or obese, then those recommendations will obviously be altered dependent on their baseline weight. Excellent. All right, so you're counseling this patient. Um, you're talking to her about maternal and fetal risk during this pregnancy. What specifically are you concerned about? So when I counsel patients who have twins, I usually start by saying pretty much any complication that you can have in a singleton pregnancy, you're at higher risk of having in a twin pregnancy. And this is usually as a result of an increased placental mass and increased number of fetuses. The, some of the more common risks that we discuss are an increased risk of gestational diabetes, an increased risk of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, and as well as the increased risk of anemia and hemorrhage. We also talk about the increased risk of thrombosis, so venous thromboembolism, either with a deep vein thrombosis or a pulmonary embolism. And there's also an increased risk of cesarean delivery for the mother. On the fetal side, there is an increased risk of miscarriage. There's an increased risk of fetal growth abnormalities, most specifically fetal growth restriction in either one or both of the twins. There's a significant risk of preterm delivery an increased risk of stillbirth, um, and all of these risks are actually even more common in a monochorionic pregnancy than in a dichorionic pregnancy. There is also an increased risk of fetal anomalies in all multiple gestations, but um, each of the twins in a dichorionic pregnancy is at the same risk as a singleton, but you just have to add it because you have two babies in there. In a monochorionic twin pregnancy, there is an increased risk of anomalies that is almost double the baseline risk. Can you actually tell us a little bit more about some of the more unique complications that you can see with the monozygotic pregnancies then? Absolutely. So when with monochorionic twins, there is a risk of a specific syndrome called twin-twin transfusion syndrome. This is when there are vascular anastomoses within the placentas of the fetuses that cause an unequal sharing in the blood flow. This can lead to what we call the polyhydramnios oligohydramnios sequence where one baby has lots of fluid and one baby has very low fluid. This increases the risk that one or both babies could die. This also increases the risk of preterm birth. And this is something that we monitor very closely in our practice because about 10 to 15% of monochorionic pregnancies will develop this issue. And we can actually halt the process if we catch it early enough by sending them for fetal therapy via laser ablation. When you have a monoamniotic, monochorionic twin pregnancy, 
One of the risks is that there's actually a very high rate of fetal death, and about 50% of the time, that's from something called cord entanglement. Literally, the baby's cords are wrapped around each other and become um, fixed, and then the blood flow is cut off to both babies, and they can both die. Dr. Pauli, what additional management strategies are recommended in twin pregnancy? So some of this depends on the chorionicity of the pregnancy, but in general, twin pregnancies do need more frequent ultrasounds because the fetuses are at increased risk of growth abnormalities. So we generally will do an ultrasound approximately every three to four weeks to check the growth of both fetuses. Additionally, we do watch the mothers a little bit more closely for any signs or symptoms of preterm labor, any development of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. When we have monochorionic twins, we have a very specific monitoring schedule that we follow, and it actually involves ultrasounds every two weeks, starting at 16 weeks of the pregnancy and continuing on throughout the entire pregnancy. As we get later into the third trimester, usually starting at about 32 weeks, we will do antenatal testing with non-stress tests on our babies who are monochorionic twins. We do that twice a week. And then with our dichorionic twins, a lot of it depends on how the babies are growing and what the maternal comorbidities are. Awesome. So our patient, when we first met her, she was 12 weeks. Um, she was diagnosed with dichorionic diamniotic twins. She has since done very well. She's now 29 weeks without any complications. You are going to counsel her about her delivery plan. What factors will determine the safest timing of delivery and multiple gestation? So again, this always comes back down to chorionicity, but in this particular patient with a dichorionic diamniotic pregnancy that is otherwise uncomplicated, usually we would recommend delivery between 38 and 38 weeks and six days. That seems to be the best time to reduce any sort of risks to the fetus, but also to maximize their chances of doing well after birth. We um, often will deliver our monochorionic pregnancies earlier than that, generally closer to the 37-week mark. But again, some of that depends on the complications that both the fetuses or the mom faces during the pregnancy. Okay, that makes sense about the timing, but how should we actually deliver them? What should be the mode of delivery? So that's a great question, and it's a, it's a threefold question. So a lot of it depends on the actual presentation of the fetuses. If you have both fetuses presenting in the vertex presentation or head first, then we generally, if there are no other uh, contraindications to it, recommend a vaginal delivery. If the presenting fetus or the one that's closest to the cervix is not vertex, so is breech or transverse, then we would recommend a cesarean for delivery because it is not recommended to deliver the first fetus breech or transverse. The trickier part of it is when the first baby is vertex and the second baby is not vertex, and a lot of that counseling goes into how far along the patient is, the sizes of the baby, the maternal risk factors, the maternal wishes, because we have to counsel these patients that there is a risk of requiring a cesarean after, the, after a vaginal birth of the first fetus, or we might have to do some sort of procedure to turn the second baby in order to safely deliver it. Dr. Paul, I thank you so much for chatting with us today and reviewing multiple gestation, gestational pregnancies. We look forward to talking with you more on high-risk issues related to obstetrics. And again, thanks. Thanks for having me.